This is Cliff Dogs Podcasts, where Dr. Cliff Harvey chats with cool people doing interesting things in performance, business, health, and the creative arts. Brendan, my man. Cliff. How you doing? I am well, thank you. And yourself? I'm good. Hey, so we, we don't know each other all that well, I would say, um, but we obviously met through the, the low-carb world, um, me sort of having been a practitioner in that space for some time and uh, being a researcher and you being a success story and now advocate. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that'd be a, a fair way to put it, I suppose. Um, I recall the the first time I'd, um, I'd, I'd heard of you was uh, probably yeah, a few years back now, and it wasn't until... I think about 2019 that that um, we we met for the first time, um, but yeah, as, as you say, I um, uh, I was I was there that night to to tell my own story, um, and that story is is largely around how um, how I'd, I'd struggled with my weight for for most of my life, um, and uh, I'm not anymore, and it seems like something that um, a lot of people would would like to be able to, to do for themselves, to understand how to do it and, and so on. And, um, yeah, I'm just out about these days to, to share my story and I hope that it'll help anybody else out there as much as it's helped me. Yeah, so I, I had a good read through your book and, t- to be honest, I was I was a little bit surprised, pleasantly surprised, I should say. Uh, I, I really didn't know what to expect, you know, and I thought that it might be a sort of a how-to guide around low carb or keto or perhaps um you know someone who's now a a coach sort of to some degree prescribing low carb and keto but it really wasn't that at all it was more about your journey into health through low carb yeah and i think one of the the things that really struck me was i think a lot of people are going to relate to the story of someone who had that physical manifestation of shall we say poor Mm. health you know obesity probably on that metabolic syndrome syndrome spectrum and one of the things that was very clear in your early sort of parts of the book was that you, you draw attention to the theme that that is one of the few health conditions for which there is a real physical expression of it you know, you, you obviously can tell if someone is with obesity. And obviously then there's a lot of shaming and guilt and societal stuff around yeah. it. Uh, and I found that, you know, in that early part of the book, incredibly compelling. And I guess that's why you've been on this journey and how, how it's been such a, a massive growth and exploration phase for you yeah the, the majority of the book as you say is is my own personal story really sort of the first three quarters of it or so um and it covers um most of my life it's not a full-on autobiography it is a, a memoir it's it covers the various aspects of my life and, and the ways in which they were affected by my health by my weight um and as you say it it, it starts off young um you know right from the beginning of, of primary school there's there's an awareness that uh, the kids are seeing something different about me, and they're, they're um, more than happy to, to point that out to me, uh, and, and sometimes in, in not the most flattering of ways. Um, so, yeah, it, it was something that had, had stuck with me for a long time, and I certainly wasn't out for, for any of that attention, obviously. Um, you know, be good was, was the, the message I remember ringing in my parents' ears as I'm heading out the door to school, be good, be good. Um, but here I'm surrounded by kids who aren't being good, 
and I'm thinking, well, what, what's yeah. going on here? There's a discrepancy, and I, I wanted to be good, to fit in, to do the right thing, to do as I was told, to be a good boy. Um, but the idea that, that I was carrying this extra weight, even at that young age, um, really stood out to, to others, it would seem, in such a way that um, they, they would accuse me of um, having, having consciously made that decision to be that way. They would say to me, you're fat. And I would hear it in such a way as if they had said, you're fat and that makes you a bad person. As if I had consciously, yeah. deliberately chosen to be that way when nothing could have been further from the truth. Um, yeah. And I mean, that, that's a very interesting aspect that comes through subtly in the book, I think, is that, you know, we, we know from the evidence that it's not just an issue of willpower. And in fact, when we look at the subject of willpower, people typically don't have greater or lesser willpower overall. Mm. Some people do, some people don't, but on balance, most people don't have, you know, differing levels of willpower. What they have is different allocations of willpower. Yes. And so some people will allocate willpower to certain things, others will allocate it to others. And then overriding all of that is this psychosocial milieu, which I guess we've we've all to some degree been a, a victim of hmm. and the the degree to which it affects us is going to be based on you know a whole range of things from our family environment through to what we're exposed to when we're younger through other sources through to our genetics and our you know baseline metabolic status so there's a lot going in there and i thought it was a, a really interesting way to explore that because you did it in a very personal way uh, a, a very vulnerable way yeah and for, for that reason, I think a lot of people who have perhaps struggled or are still struggling are really going to relate to that. And I, is that the reason why you wrote this book? Partly, yes. Um, the, the way I, I, I took that approach, I sort of thought back to, to my time when I was growing up and, and my weight struggle. There, there weren't so many fat kids around in those days. Um, and it's at a point now where um, the, the, the tables have turned. So I stood out that much more in those days. Um, and... and things have become a bit more sort of normalized in that direction now, if you like. But there are other reasons why I wouldn't necessarily want to grow up now, and, and social media will be the one that, that, that comes to mind there. But that's another subject entirely. Um, but you're right. You talk about um, willpower and, and the willingness and the desire to to uh, lose weight and, and be healthy by, by any measure. Um, and, and what I've since learned is that for, for myself and, and presumably anybody else out there who uh, who has weight to lose, I would argue that they need two things. They need to be willing, uh, which we've touched on, and they also need to be able. Um, and yeah. and the idea is is that uh, certainly in the past, in, in my experience, having grown up, it was always an assumption that it was a lack of willingness, a lack of willpower, that I had chosen consciously to do that. Um, and it wasn't until much, much later that, that I realized after I'd, I'd stumbled on, on what ultimately worked for me that it wasn't a lack of desire or willingness or willpower at all. Just what was being prescribed to me at that time simply did not work for me. I didn't have that ability and I needed to find my ability, what worked for me um, through other means. Yeah, and th that brings up a good point too because you obviously explained... You know, the, the methods that were proposed to mm. you, which are basically the old school, eat less, move more. And one thing that when I was reading your book came up 
you know, I, I sort of reframed it in my own terms, was that seems seemed like and still seems like an inefficiency exercise. It's inefficiency of activity and inefficiency of eating. And I guess the journey took you to a way that was far more efficient for you. Mm. Yeah, the um, the idea that um, eating less and, and moving more um, uh, was, it was such a powerful sell, particularly in those days while I was growing up, sort of late 80s and into the 90s. Because again, in, in those days, it seemed to be working for everybody else. And so it was easy, therefore, for anybody to, to make that claim, well, if it doesn't work for you, then there's something wrong with you. If, if, if I'm fat, then it's my fault. Um, and, and that was uh, something that I ended up believing and, and sort of falling for and, and living with for, for a very long time because I couldn't come up with anything else to, to counter that. Um, and it was such a shame yeah. because I'd, I'd set out to do the right thing and, and be a good boy, you know, sit up straight, elbows off the table, all those things. And, <laughs> and you know, that was the, the, the life I'd wanted to live, to, to do the right thing, to, to, to listen to what people are telling me, respect my elders, respect my betters. Um, but in, in this, this one particular instance, as, as much as they were so sure that they were right, um, in, in my case, um, they, they didn't quite get it right after all. Well, and you also had a bit of, and I appreciate this too, obviously with my background, I appreciate your anti-authoritarian sort of bent as well. So you, you, you weren't always falling into line. No, it was, it was um, a default position. But, you know, as, as I'm running into these issues, trying to do what people are telling me to do to, to get healthy and to lose weight and so on, and it's not working. And, and, and as you say, there, there's um, a, a few clashes with, with a few personalities. There's a few battles with PE teachers, uh, you know, while at school growing up, that sort of thing. Um, and that was after the battles with the dietitians. So I sort of developed a sense by by the end of my schooling years, uh, in effect, that um, you know if, if if these people aren't going to be able to do anything for me, they're all consistently telling me the same thing. So they have to be right in my mind. There has to be something yeah. wrong with me. But they can't do anything for me. And and by the end of high school, I'm just convinced that this is just the way I'm going to be. I'm going to be fat forever, and there's just nothing anybody can can ever do about it. And let's let's be clear, I guess, because I know you circled back to this at the end of your book as well. That you know, calories in, calories out is a thing. It Absolutely, works. and 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 eat less, move more will work for some people. Sure, but I think where where you and I w- would both agree is that well, I frame it this way often for my students. There are two ways to look at this. One is top down, one's bottom up, and they both are true. You know, the top down approach being you willfully eat less and move more. Mm-hmm. The bottom-up approach being you do things for your body to allow it to want to eat an appropriate amount and therefore to also allow metabolic health, which typically results in people wanting to move more. So those two things can be complementary. So I think a lot of the debate is somewhat meaningless because we have the calories in, calories out crowd, and then we have you know all sorts of other diet dogma crowd. Yes. But really what we're talking about is how do we functionally achieve a natural state of living in which it becomes easier for us to maintain that energy balance, yeah, that's a, which I call auto-regulation. Right, yeah, that's a really good point. It's it's very easy for, for people in this day and age on, on any subject to, to fall into certain camps and get all tribal about uh, this, that, or the next thing, and, and this is just another one of those subjects, right? But but I completely agree. Um, as, as much as um, some people like to argue against uh, calories in, calories out, um, there, there is no, I, I don't dispute that at all. Anyone, anyone who goes on an extended fast, 
uh, you know, can, can speak to the effects of, of what that can do for, for, for one's weight during that period where they're not eating, right? That's literally eating less in its most extreme form. Um, so I agree yeah. that, that, yes, it is ultimately about calories, but what I've since learned is that it's not necessarily exclusively um, about calories because to claim that it's only uh, about calories implies that all we really care about is the quantity of, of what we eat and there's, there's no regard at all whatsoever for quality. And we can speak to a little bit about that. I mean, the quantity thing is, is a really easy thing for anybody to understand. It's, it's objective, right? You've got a plate of this and you've got a smaller plate of that and okay, you go with the smaller plate. Anybody can, can agree on that. But then when you start talking about the quality of food, well, that's a far more subjective thing to be talking about, and we sort of have to agree on a definition for, for what is um, quality of food. And there are various people who, who have their own definitions on that. But what I sort of came up with in, in my own experience was I decided, and this is sort of my definition of, of uh, quality diet for me, and, and that is um, uh, a diet that um, enables me to uh, eat less, in effect, to be able to... Um, to get healthy and stay healthy, but without the barriers that I was continually running into while trying to follow the standard advice through the usual means of eating less, because that primary barrier for me was hunger. And, and you know, people would say, just eat less. And me being the good boy, thinking, okay, I'm just going to eat less. Uh, some days I might try not eating at all. But whenever that would happen, I would just get hungry. And, and that's where, in my mind, the argument started to break down um, because you know the idea is that okay you eat less and the body's just going to start consuming the the energy and the fat stores are already carrying but if that were true then why am i still getting hungry why do i still get hungry when i'm already fat and that was such a um a powerful question in my mind while growing up that that actually became the the tagline for for the book itself and just trying to understand um how these two things can come together they're not necessarily in opposition to each other but it's, it's more about, okay, we've got this, this barrier um, that, that is preventing the, the, the standard approach from working. So let's understand that barrier, what causes hunger, what can be done uh, in, in terms of what can change about our diet that perhaps gets that hunger under control to then enable that standard advice to, to take effect of its own accord without the, the side effects that make it so hard for people along the way. Yeah. So I guess... You know, a question that arises that, that I think is really important for this whole debate, and especially the, the debate around what quality is or what is the most sort of sustainable diet, particularly in societal mm. terms, what would you say, and we may disagree on this, I'm not sure, but what would you say is the biggest issue regarding the diabetes epidemic? Would you say that it's carbohydrate or hyperpalatable, ultra-refined food? Well, it's, that's a very good question, and there are there are different schools of thought. Different people I know have have different ideas on that. What I can what I tend to fall back to for for questions such as this is I tend to fall back on my own experience um, and and understanding and answering uh, in the context of what actually worked for me. When I started um, on on my weight loss journey, I took the idea of low carb very very literally. I wasn't at all concerned with the extent of the processing of the food, um, how real or, or packaged it was. Um, I was simply looking at the food labels, looking at the, the numbers on the back of the food labels, how many carbohydrates per 100 grams according to the label. Um, me with my 
sort of engineering mathematical problem solving mindset that was as, as simple as approach as I could take. I would wander through the supermarket. The first day I went supermarket shopping after I committed to low carb took me all afternoon. I'm stopping and, and looking at these food labels and understanding, oh, I can't eat that anymore. But then I come across... Yeah, I remember saying you saying it took half a day, but you had half a day yeah, to spare. Yeah, I so. had half a day to spare. I, I gave myself that time. So I wandered around and I, I learned and, and I unlearned and I, I relearned. There are some things that I thought I hadn't had in years and, oh, yeah, I can, I can actually have that now by the label. That looks okay. So I took a very literal approach to, to low carb and that sense pain, um, no regard whatsoever to the, the extent of the processing and things. In my case, it, it worked out that, that they weren't very different from each other anyway. Um, there was a lot of removal of processed food from the old diet and uh, that, you know, there's no more pizza, no more pies, no more two-minute noodles, no more cereals, all those sorts of things, obviously. Um, and they're all replaced largely by meat and veggies. So it's it's broadly, um, you know, headed down the direction of, of, a, of a more whole food uh, diet anyway. Not to say that I'm, I'm fully uh, whole food in that sense. I'll have the odd low-carb energy bar or... or um, you know, a drink with, with a bit of stevia in it or, or something like that. I don't get too particular about that. The primary focus for me was was just getting the carbs down. Once I'd understood that the the, the insulin response that the, the carbs produce was was the, the barrier for me internally, I needed to get the insulin down to such a level that the, the body was was capable of, of burning that which I was I was already carrying. So I really did target the, the carbs uh, in the early stages. At this point, um, some years into um, my, my maintenance period, I suppose, I've been more or less weight stable now for about five years. Um, the, the question of, of quality around the extent of the processing of the food has, has begun to uh, emerge of its own accord as I'm continually looking to, to tweak things and make changes, um, processed meat versus unprocessed meat. You know, do I really need the energy bars? Do I really need the the, the, the coconut cream desserts or, or whatever. Um, and that's just a trial and error thing. So I would argue that um, for me, uh, while the initial focus was very much about the carb restriction, first and foremost, the, there's such a, a, a large overlap between the carbs, yeah. literally, versus just the, the quality of the food in terms of whole foods and processed foods. Um, the, the overlap is, is pretty large anyway for me. Definitely. I think that's something we see commonly is that when people embark on a low-carb diet, not always, but generally, people will tend to eat a diet that is lower in those ultra-refined, hyper-palatable foods, higher in sort of natural, whole unprocessed foods. And, you know, by nature, the diet is very satiating anyway, but also, you know, the, the foods that people are eating are by nature satiating as well. So I think we're sort of functionally achieving that auto-regulation um, maybe in a way that people didn't necessarily expect because from my point of view, you know, I, I think that while the, I, I don't believe that the carbohydrate insulin model of of obesity has been completely debunked, but it's certainly very incomplete, um, especially given some of the, the later research, you know, which shows fairly clearly that there is very little, if any difference between, you know, higher or lower carb diets over the longer term. Mm. Um, and that high-carb diets can, in fact, of certain types, particularly when they're based on unrefined foods, can be just as satiating as a low-carb or ketogenic diet. Um, but I think all of the debate around that is is 
is interesting from an academic sense, but in, in a functional sense for the person on the street, what's going to work for them is what's going to work for them. Yeah. And the reality is that, you know, low carb works incredibly well for a lot of people and particularly so people who have metabolic syndrome or are on that pathway. Yeah. And and that was one of the things that I had, had struggled to, to wrap my brain around when the, the concept of low carb had first been put to me because it seemed so at odds with with uh, with the standard advice um, you know when it was first sold to me by by somebody I've heard about it in the news a couple of times over the years but there'd always been the the, the usual gang of experts saying no 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 this is a crazy dangerous unsubstantiated fad you know fat will clog your arteries with cholesterol and you'll be dead of a heart attack before you know it um, and then I being a good boy I'm, I'm listening and thinking right I will not do low carb um, and that, that decision effectively cost me about 15 years of quality of life um, until the point at which somebody had actually suggested to me face to face. And I thought, how dare you? Where do you think you're coming from telling me to do something that everybody else is saying will be the worst possible thing for me? It really took me... And was, was this the, the trainer story that you related to? Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've been struggling in my own way to, to lose a bit of weight. And in desperation, I've begun walking to work and back every day for a while. And I've lost a little bit of weight there. It wasn't much, but it was something. And I thought, well, this is better than nothing. Let's get some professional help here in the exercise department. So I made an appointment uh, at a gym. And uh, I turn up there and he takes one look at me and says, uh, yeah, no, you need to be looking at your diet. And I thought... Where are you going here? And then he shows me this low-carb website. And, and I had been familiar with the idea of low-carb in the past. But again, these these years and years of people saying, no, this is bad, do not do this. And my wanting to be a good boy and do the right thing, it was a major, major mental hurdle for, for me to have to overcome. Um, and, and eventually I decided, this, this certainly wasn't the healthiest of motivations, but I decided, well, this guy statistically has to be wrong. Because if he's right, then that means everybody else is wrong. I was still in, operating in that tribal mindset myself at that time. Yeah. So I thought, well, the only way I'm going to be able to prove him wrong is if I try it. So I went into low carb actually not expecting it to, to, to work for me at all. I, I expected it to be, if anything, the end of me. Um, and, uh, you know, it was the, the greatest surprise of my life in a sense to discover that it was really just the beginning. Or a new beginning. Yeah. Yeah, it's an, it, it's an interesting place to be because, you know, I, I don't think that the acceptance of the status quo necessarily means that someone is just the type of personality who falls into line and is being, you know, a, a good boy as you and, and humor suggests. Because I think as well, when people have a degree of intelligence and... Should we say not scientific literacy so much, but um, curiosity? Scientific curiosity, exactly. That's the exact term. There is going to be a default position where, if it's not your area, it makes sense to look at the the body of experts, not picking out one and sort of going for that, um, you know, appeal to authority fallacy, mm. but looking at what most experts are saying because that just makes sense, mm. right? And then when we're confronted with something that's quite different, then obviously it's going to be confronting. And in some respects, that provides for a very interesting starting point in your situation because you were, your hypothesis was different to what eventually emerged. 
Now, in my case, obviously, it was quite different because I was looking at the research that was emerging at the time back in the 90s and was challenging my lecturers with this research. And as you know, the story is that I was kicked out of nutrition class because I was asking those inconvenient questions. But, you know, different different means to come to the same end. It's, It's a very interesting situation and I I actually want to do a complete non sequitur here and circle back because I I really want to get your opinion now on the 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 current movement for body acceptance what are your thoughts around that given that you've been there you've been a bigger person Mm -hmm. you've obviously been you know victimized because of that by people within society so you've gone through the fire right but a lot of your narrative has also been about the weight. And my guess is because that's because of your mathematical data-driven mindset. Mm. So where do you now see this this body acceptance movement and the, the positives, maybe negatives of it? Um, for me, it's it's something that um, I sort of felt for, for most of my life, certainly after having left school and I was sort of had the, the, the freedom to do what I wanted in life. I'd, and but at the same time, I'd, I'd come to this acceptance for myself, really. Well, not so much acceptance, but more a sense of resignation, really. Or maybe I'd resigned myself mm. to my fate that this was just the way I was always going to be. There's nothing anybody can can ever really do about it. So let's just learn to to live within my means. I wouldn't say I was ever really happy with myself in that regard, as much as nobody else around me was very happy with myself in that regard. Um, but there was just a, a sense of of powerless and, and powerlessness and, and resignation um, and you sort of process that in your mind uh, to a point where you, you sort of just accept things the, the way they are because you really don't feel that you've got a choice um, and and maybe for, for other people yeah. who are who are, are battling with, with um, you know their own issues uh, physically um, reach the point in, in their minds that this is all that they can ever be so they they grow to to accept that whether that's whether that they're right or wrong that that's their perception from from their position uh, at their point in life if, if um, you know all they've been exposed to is that that uh, there's nothing that can be done uh, you know it's all on you if you're fat it's your fault whatever and and you're still stuck with it and you don't see a way around it then you know at that point what choice do you have but you just accept things rightly or wrongly um, for the way they are. So on a personal level, I guess there can be acceptance can sort of be a positive or negative thing. If it's a resignation and it's not, um, I guess then in, in many respects, it's in contrast to the idea of health at every size, because obviously the idea behind health at every size is not that you are necessarily healthy at every size. It's more so that health can be and should be pursued at every size mm. And other people should accept how someone is in the moment so that they can then go forward positively without all the stigma and shaming and those types of things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anybody who who, um, takes a look at anybody else sort of walking down the street and they they see someone who looks a little bit different, and this might be because of their weight or or whatever, um, you know, what, what anybody sees of anybody else is just a snapshot of that person's life in that moment in time. They have no idea what their trajectory is. They have no idea whether they're gaining weight or losing weight. Um, they, they could be, you know, there could be any and all sort of 
points in their own journey and for someone to take a glance and somebody make a snap judgment in that moment um you know it's it's an easy thing for for people to do and and we all do it but it, it does sort of um you know bear some some thought at times when when we we see somebody like that we don't really know the the whole story there may be legitimate reasons and they may be trying their honest best to to do something about yeah. it and that's one of the things that i sort of mentioned right back at the start of the book about what it is about being overweight that makes it one of the most difficult chronic conditions from which a human being can suffer because there is that visibility component and so people will make judgments yeah. on that basis um, that they wouldn't necessarily make for any other condition that isn't so so visible as, as being overweight is. Oh, exactly. And that was a very pertinent point, I think, that you, know, that you, you don't see someone's addiction to alcohol or drugs or whatever it happens to be when they're walking down the right. street, unless, of course, they're currently in every <laughs> But you, you will obviously see the physical expression of obesity. And, you know, people are very quick to judge because of that. Uh, you know, and we know, you know, there, there is good research, for example, that shows that people who are overweight um, will typically have less advancement in the corporate world because people judge them based on it in the same way that they judge people who are shorter. And it sort of leads back to the, the question around our psychosocial milieu and why people are so inclined to be judgmental and i've got to say it falls back on this you know hierarchical pursuit of more that we're all caught up with where we are trying to create superiority for ourselves in some way or perhaps we're not happy on some level so we're trying to justify our existence by by being superior or better than the person we see walking down the perhaps. street perhaps I, I think a, a major part of it on, on this particular subject at least is that i think society in general has this this idea that where health and, and nutrition and issues of body weight are concerned um, all of those questions in that area have already been answered. The 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 science is, mm. is done. Um, you know the 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 door is closed. Uh, the it's locked and the keys thrown away. Everything's been answered. The science has been settled on this. Um, <laughs> you know, you ask anybody on the street what to do to lose weight, and they'll tell you some variation of eat less, move more. Right? That's just the common understanding. Yeah. Everybody air quotes knows that that's he quotes all you need to do um, to 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 lose weight, um, and yeah, that, that. However, you ask a sort of pragmatic scientist, like maybe hopefully myself or someone like Dr. Eric Helms, and they'd probably say, "Well, it depends." Well, it depends. <laughs> exactly right. That that's the perfect beginning to to the answer to that question. I think. Yeah. Hey, so one thing you related in your book was that a simple rule for you in that those early stages was that carbs were bad right again right. my my very and simplified I, approach on it i took it a, very a, very literally yeah absolutely and I, I think that comes through as well in the book that you weren't sort of saying that carbs are all bad all the time it was more so that that became a simple metric which obviously worked i mean the proof of the pudding uh, was in the eating excuse mm. the pun or in the not eating. Yeah. um and you obviously drastically restricted them as a result now my question is about now do you think that degree of carb restriction is going to be an ongoing forever thing? Or do you see a place for shifting that over time into, I guess, dare I say it, a more sort of carb-appropriate 
idea where there's a spectrum of carb intake that's dependent on your goals at any one time. Yeah, that's something that has has formed a large part of, of the, the maintenance stage of my journey. So these last um, five years or so, I've been weight stable now since uh, beginning of 2017, basically. Um, and all throughout that period, I've been experimenting with, with various things. I had um, the question asked to be on more than one occasion, when are you going to start eating normal again? Um as if low carb is still this this weird freakish um, thing off to the side that should only be done temporarily and isn't sustainable or whatever beyond the the weight loss journey itself, mm. and and so <laughs> if for no other reason than to, to to silence these people who were insistent that I needed to start eating normal again at some point, I started to experiment with some of those things. So I began, you know, I would have things like half a punnet of strawberries, for example, or a, a can of vegetable soup, or three pieces of toast, or something like that. Um, fruits, vegetables, grains. Um, and every single time, I find I would gain weight the next day. Now, that's not to say that yeah. I wouldn't necessarily gain weight on other things as well, um, but it was very, very um, pronounced and, and regular. To this day, I still weigh myself every day. Um and, and I have I have dinner every night uh, the night before and just sort of see how it goes and I can monitor when when certain meals tend to, to work better than others. Sometimes I'll I'll gain weight the next day and I think, huh, okay. So maybe I'll I'll have that meal again the same night next week and let's see if I, you know, mm. bounce up a little bit again on the scales. Um, so it's it's this continual ongoing experiment for, for me just to see what works and what doesn't. And, and every time I try introducing a little a bit of this and a bit of that, you know, some, some, some crumbs on the meat or, or a bit of fruit here or, or whatever there, um, the, the, the scales respond in, in a way that um, doesn't so much appeal to me. So I think, right, okay, well, if that's not going to work for me, then then, then off it goes. Um, so it's right. it's been... Uh, very much a, an ongoing uh, period of experimentation as I figure out what things work well for me, what things don't. I'm always looking for, for more things to, to add. I'll, I'll still, you know, try something new I find at the supermarket if I haven't seen that before. And, oh, okay, well, by the numbers and theory, that might work. Let's give it a shot. Um, you know, one of the key criticisms about low-carb is there's no variety to it, and that's an ongoing thing. You think a diet of meat and veg, for example, well, is that it? But there's so many different kinds of meat. There's so many different kinds of very, uh, vegetables, and there's so many different ways in which these things can be prepared. So I don't feel um, constrained or, or, or bored by it at all. I just have uh, a meal for, for each night of the week at this point, um, and that just takes the thinking out of the day. What am I going to have for dinner tonight? You know, that we all sort of stress and, and worry about, and, and I just don't have any of that. The, 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 the meat is defrosting uh, in, in the oven for tonight as I speak. Yeah, I think people need to put to bed firmly the idea that a low-carb diet can't be nutrient-replete. Uh, I, I recently got into a little discussion online with someone about that, and I, I basically said that, look, because this person was saying low-carb and keto are trash, right. right? And I said, well, look, that they may not be for everybody. Um, I wouldn't prescribe keto to all my clients and patients because it may not be appropriate for mm. them. However, for a lot of people, it works incredibly well. So if someone finds a diet that works well for them, they can stick to it for the long term and they continue to get great health from it, how on earth is there a problem? And the, the person came back with basically two cherry pick studies, one 
which was very broad, uh, which is the same old narrative that saturated fat equals heart disease equals death, which uh, I would say is inconsistent with the evidence. Agreed. And everyone knows that I've written a lot about that. (laughs) And um, also an article which suggested in the strongest terms that a low-carb or ketogenic diet is not replete in nutrients and is therefore bad in health uh, bad for your health for that reason. Now, the the, the paper was, was not a good paper, uh, and it was written by a, a bunch of vegan advocates. It was re- written by Neil Barnard and others from the uh, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. So there's a very strong bias within that. Now, we can see a lot of other evidence, you know, published by Karen Zinn and, and my colleagues and, and others, yeah. which is quite strongly shown that, you know, a low-carb diet is every bit replete in nutrients and it it doesn't make any sense to suggest otherwise because as you've said people can have a very limited idea of what low carbon keto are Mm -hmm. you know you get rid of all vegetables all berries all fruits whatever well keto and low carb are a spectrum anyway different people achieve say ketosis on vastly different levels of carbohydrate different people have different functional pathways to low carb it could be that you eat under 10 grams of carbs a day or it could be that you eat under 250 grams of carbs a day there's a big variation there but irrespective i would always say that for for any of my clients having worked with keto and low carb diets now for a quarter of a century not one of them have i ever restricted vegetables you know those low starch fibrous vegetables leafy greens basically say go for it yeah, and so if someone's eating meat, which is nutrient-dense, and they're eating lots of vegetables, which are nutrient and other things dense, like fiber and resistant starch and whatnot, there's really no reason to think that that would be lacking in nutrients. And if anything, we would have to also resort, I think, to a bioevolutionary standpoint where we say, well, over many periods of time, for very long periods of time, that was probably a basic subsistence type diet for us yeah there, there are a couple of points that come to mind on on this um with regard to you know nutrients and, and nutrient density and, and so on for for low carb um one is is the question of, of bioavailability and you can think about things like iron for example and, and uh, uh meat yeah. is is that much more accessible and um or iron is that much more accessible uh in, in meat than it is uh, uh through through other sources for example the other point that I would offer to to this particular discussion would be that around how much of any given nutrient we might need could actually depend on our underlying sort of state of, of metabolic health. Like if you're uh, if you're, you're you're dealing with with high blood pressure, for example, the instinctive response on the part of many will be, "Oh, we'll just don't eat too much salt." Um, but you know, in in the context of, of a low carb diet. You kind of almost need to go the other way with the salt. You can actually get get hypo, go too far the other direction if you're not sort of paying attention to um, to, to the salts and the minerals, um, because your your body just wakes up and becomes that much more effective at, at handling a lot of those things. So, um, you know, there's an argument where you might say, oh, "Well, you're not getting enough of these nutrients on on a low carb diet um, versus versus another diet." Well, if 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 you're on that diet, particularly for, for the purpose of improving your wider metabolic health, you're sort of working towards adjusting those those base parameters of exactly how much it is of a range of nutrients that we need. So is it perhaps an illusion that we need X amount of nutrients 
um, on a healthy diet versus uh, Y amount of nutrients on a low carb diet. Why do X and Y have to be the same, but they can perhaps be different depending on, on the, 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 the wider state of the diet as a whole? Yeah, that, that's a good point, and I think that's certainly true. You know, we have strong evidence for that when we look at particularly some of the fat-soluble vitamins, you know, that are not absorbed as well by people who are with obesity. Uh, and so there, there's certainly, you know, a strong rationale for what you're saying. I think it can go to extremes where, you know, some people will suggest that you need very minimal amounts of certain nutrients because you're on, let's say, a carnivore diet. Right. Uh, and I don't necessarily go to that extreme, but I certainly think what you're saying has 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 legs, no doubt. Um, I want to circle back a little bit because something you said about the the weight was interesting to me, and this it ties into a secondary point. So if you don't mind, I'm going to sort of ask this in a somewhat convoluted right. way. When you talked about the trying new things and the the weight gain that results, mm. that made maybe just a result of a, a transient water gain. Absolutely. Right? So some transient water retention. Now, I get that for you a very important metric is, is weight. Mm-hmm. Where I want to head here, though, is uh, we did some research quite a few years ago now looking at the qualitative lived experience of people on a ketogenic diet. And we thought that we saw... Well, we did see, but, you know, you can't really be too equivocal with um, sure. qualitative research. We identified sort of two behavioral types, the moderator and abstainer. And the moderators at the end of a ketogenic diet trial were people who were sort of saying things like, well, I enjoyed it, but I'd like to start eating a little bit of kumara, you know, maybe some pasta here and there, and I can handle that, no, not a mm. problem. Behaviorally, psychologically, psycho-emotionally. Whereas there were other, the other group were the abstainers who were basically saying things like, you know what, if I go back to eating carbs, I'm just going to eat more and more and more. Right. You know, and they were using very evocative terms like the, the sugar demon, the sugar dragon, things Mm. like that. So how much of what you're looking at is based purely on those numbers that you're seeing on the scale and how much is the propensity for those foods to drive you to eat more and more of those foods so i've i've always um been been keen on exploring the the variety of my diet it was one of the concerns that a lot of critics have always expressed to me you're going to be bored of it you're just going to be eating the same thing every day and so i've always worked really hard to explore um any and all options that i find that that might in theory um support or at least not get in the way of um uh, achieving what it is that, that i'm out to achieve so I would describe myself as, as someone who, in theory, would, would like to be able to, to moderate uh, on, on some of these things yeah. as much as they could, but the, the end results, as, as uh, they're, they're steering back in me some days, um, demonstrate that, that I just can't. It's not so much um, uh, an issue of, of addiction. I wouldn't say I was ever really addicted to food as such, um, so much as I was compelled by my constant hunger to to continually eat Um, and and to just be free of that to to be able to think about food while at the same time not feeling like i should be eating some of that food um there's a separation that exists there now that i never used to have before i would have to really work to actively distract myself whether i'm focusing on something at work or whether i'm uh, deep on a quest in a video game or, or whatever, you know, you, you get in the zone, right? There is a zone and 
you, you forget about how hungry you are. Um, and I, I don't have to, to work so hard to to forget about that anymore because I'm not so hungry all the time as, as I used to be. Right. So I, for me, it wasn't so much about an addiction uh, and, and, and escaping that addiction uh, as it was about just finding and, and preserving that freedom, if you like, from the, the, the constant uh, feelings of hunger that, that I, I used to be getting uh, for, for mm. many, many years. Interesting. Yeah, the, um, the, you, you bring up the topic of variety, and it's such a common trope in nutrition. You know, you need variety. Where's the variety? Yeah. But functionally, what I've found, and again, you know, I've been doing this for a long time now. I've been doing this for nearly 25 years. The variety can stand in the way of progress for a lot of people particularly when we're trying to cre- create habits. Sure. You know, and you see it all the time when people start a, a new diet regimen. They go to the they go to the supermarket and they buy a huge array of things that they've never cooked before. Mm. And those things end up rotting in the fridge and they fall back on old habits. Yep. Whereas I think most of us who are successful in following... A, a structure that works for us because I believe we need structure, but we also need freedom within structure. Mm-hmm. We tend to often eat the same or similar things day in, day out. Right. And that shifts over time, but it's almost as if variety happens naturally rather than trying to force variety. So I really think variety is overplayed in nutrition. Yeah, but variety for variety's sake, um, you know, not so much for me. It was just more a, a, a case of uh, working towards ensuring that I was at least not going to be eating the, the same thing two nights in a row unless I'd cooked in bulk and I was sort of having round two the following night, that sort of thing. When I think back yeah. to, to when I started with, with low carb, I didn't actually go into it cold turkey as, as some uh, might commit to doing, as you suggested. The way I did it instead was I, I realized in the beginning that I didn't even know what low carb really was. I needed the time to learn to understand what sorts of foods to be looking for, how to read food labels, where to find these things in the supermarket. I'd be literally going down aisles I'd never gone down before. Um, and, and that's a process that takes a long time. So to give myself that time in those early stages, what I did was I, I knew enough to know that a lot of things that I had in the house were not going to be any good for me from here on out. But at the same time, I thought, right, let's just finish those off. I wasn't going to throw anything out. Let's finish those things off. I'll, I'll run out of things one by one. And that'll give me the time to sort of evolve and transition my diet away from these things. I'm not going to buy them anymore. Just run them down, not buy anymore. And that gives me the time to, to develop that variety. So the first few low-carb uh, meals of, of mine were, were very, very similar. There was, um, there was a lot of... of uh, sausages and eggs. There was a lot of just steak on its own. There was a lot of um, uh, vegetable soup with um, you know chunks of, of meat cut up in, in it instead of your your, your bread type croutons. Those sorts of things. Just uh, those very few meals. But I wasn't eating low carb every day then anyway because I was still transitioning away from what I had left from from the bad old days. Um, so that was how I, I was able to, to overcome that challenge of, of variety for me, was just to ease myself into it, give myself time to learn, and at the same time um, yeah. say goodbye to each of these other things as, as I finish them off. Um, yeah, That's such, such a great approach, and that's something I often advocate for my clients because there tends to be this mentality in nutrition that you start something and you do a big pantry clear-out where you throw away a whole bunch of mm-hmm. food. And I mean... I, Donate it, sure, but I think where people are throwing away food, I have a real 
issue with that given that a big problem we have with eco-sustainability and you know climate change and things like that is just wastage yeah. right yeah. and so I, I like the idea of finish it and then replace it with something different that is going to be conducive to your goals because let's face it it's not going to take that no long. no it only took me about sort of four to six weeks i suppose um and and you know by the end as you say you know talking about donating whale which you're not going to use by the end i think all i had left was a an unopened jar of strawberry jam and a couple of cans of spaghetti and i think i gave them away to the you know the annual um christmas food bank drive or whatever was going that year and that's fine the other things that i had opened but i couldn't bear to finish anymore i think i had half a loaf of bread and half a tub of margarine and you know they're sitting there and i'm like well i can't i can't do anything with those and i i just don't feel like i want to be eating those things anymore so that was literally all that i threw out of the end um yeah because i'd i'd I've managed it. I've taken it, um, taken it slowly and carefully. Just give myself the time to figure out what am I getting myself into here, um, and just to, to learn and, and figure things out uh, in my own time at my own pace. Well, you, you were figuring out a lot of things, and I, I hope you don't take offence to this. But when I was reading through your book, it felt, in a lot of respects, like you were learning how to adult. Yeah. You know, you were learning how to cook and, and do all these things, and that um, that was really cool to, to, to read about. And I, I loved one of the uh, you, you said um, something like time in the kitchen is time invested in oneself. Yes. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Yes. That is such a powerful concept, and I was thinking about that the other day when I was cooking a, a meal for for us here, Bella and Dexter and myself. Mm. And I was thinking how how awesome is this? Like cooking is fun. It's really fun, and, and and eating is my greatest pleasure, right? So cooking is like the the preamble to yes. that. But a lot of people simply don't do that because they don't know how. They don't know where to start. See, I I, I agree with your statement that cooking is fun. I, I agree with it now, but for most of my yeah. life, um, for most of my life, the kitchen in my mind was the enemy. The kitchen was the place in my mind where yeah. all the calories came from. The calories that everybody was telling me were making me fat. I could make. Uh, a tray of cheese on toast in the oven and I could microwave anything I wanted but that was literally all I, I knew how to do because I figured well all the advice that people have been telling me what to eat and what not to eat none of that has worked so if if what people are telling me to do isn't going to work then I'm just going to do whatever I want there's there's no point in in paying any attention to anything and I'm just going to eat whatever I want eat whatever I enjoy there's no value to cooking because all food is the same um, you know, knowing now, of course, this is this is completely wrong. But that was where the the mindset of, of fearing and avoiding the kitchen um, came from, because mm. I'd, I'd just been convinced that you know the almighty calorie rules all, and and so you know if the kitchen is where those calories are coming from, then that is that's an unhappy place for me. So you know, it, it did. Yeah. I did recognise that I would need time to to face that. And, and work on that and I had to I had to give up my video game habits for a while there to, to to do that but I was prepared to do that right it was like okay this is something I want to take seriously enough to to say that I've, I've given it an honest shot I didn't want to sort of be, be half-assed about it I wanted to, to take it seriously go all in this was the only way I was going to be able to prove this guy wrong that low carb wouldn't work I needed to give it an honest shot and go all in and take it seriously and that and part of that as you say uh, included you know becoming familiar with with the kitchen for really the first time in my life the place where i live now um it's it's not large and, and the, the kitchen would be perhaps the smallest part of it and i kind of regret that now because uh, there, there's so many things that i would love to be able to do that i just don't have room for i've got 
you know, a microwave occupies just about half of my entire bench. Um, it's, it's, it's not a large place. But at the time, I didn't feel like I needed a large place because the, the kitchen was my enemy. And it, it's not now. The, the kitchen, yeah. once you know how to use it, um, is, can absolutely be your, your best friend, for sure. See, that's really evocative, I think. You know, having worked with a lot of people who see exercise as the enemy, but they do mm. it because they want to beat themselves into submission, and they see the kitchen as the enemy because they they feel they need to be starving themselves. Yeah. To see the mindset shift in those people towards exercise not being the enemy anymore, but exercise being something that is challenging in order to build the body in the way that we want it to be mm. and food and the bikes each in the kitchen being a way to nourish the body into the, the form and function that we want it to have. That's a, a very important mindset shift. Yeah, absolutely. It? Like once I'd, once I'd figured out that, okay, not all foods are created equal, that a calorie is not always necessarily a calorie that, that, we, our, our bodies, can can respond in different ways to, to different types of foods, that there are some avenues for exploration there, that, you know, if, if some things are, are better than others by whatever measure, then the, the, the kitchen at that point almost becomes like a, a, a science lab where you can, you know, okay, here's a food that I think might work. Let's see if I can make a meal out of it. Let's see if I can enjoy it. Um, let's see it, how, how I respond to, to it after the fact. Um, and, um, you know, maybe that's, that's a, a mindset that, that someone with, um, with my sort of inclinations um, can, can latch on to. See, there's, there's less of a kitchen and, and more of a science lab as part of this grand experiment yeah. on, on how to, to get one's life in order. That's a really good point, and obviously that's that's your bent is to to, to, to be the, a bit of the nerd. Yeah, yourself. It, it's it's in, it's in the name of the book, after all. The the fat ginger nerd. It's 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 the story of of how I used to be all three of those things, and how now I'm only two. Give it a few more years, and I'll be down. <laughs> give it a few more years, and I'll be down to just one. Um, what are you changing your hair? <laughs> the the hair color will change itself of its own accord in a few years. I'm sure. Yeah, Happens to us all, doesn't it? <laughs> so i wonder talking about that shift in the way you see food in the kitchen one thing you mentioned in your book is that you've always had a, a bit of a resistance to exercise and that's probably your biggest challenge mm. is that something that's shifting now and do you think that the way that your body has changed has shifted your also your your sort of approach to to exercise or what you're going to do going yeah yeah um good point so this is something that that's still a work in progress for me as as i've mentioned in the book um at at first you know the the first day i i met with with the fella in the gym that was the first time i'd ever set foot in any gym anywhere in my life it was like walking into the the lion's den it was just the most terrifying thing in my mind um but I'd, I'd faced that fear and, and, and gone through with it anyway. And, you know, I, I can be grateful for having gone through that, um, looking back on it, but it was a really tricky thing for me at the time. What had prevented me from from really going to a gym and, and uh, establishing an ongoing gym habit to that point, and it's, it was not so much the case now, back in those days, uh, I, I didn't want to be, be seen as, as, as standing out. You know, I, I'm just so mm. self-conscious as, as anybody who's of that size um, likely is. 
Um, and I, I just didn't want to stand out any more than was absolutely necessary. And I talked to a few people about this back in the day. You know, what are the prospects? How, how might someone of, of my appearance survive in a gym-type environment? Like, are there, are there secret side entrances for fatties to be able to sneak in and sneak out so that nobody knows you're even there, that sort of thing? And, and the general responses people would say to me was, uh, oh, no, everybody's just, just doing their own thing, you know. Um, don't worry about it. But I couldn't not worry about it because in my position, I'm, I'm just mm. so self-conscious, you know, having dealt with, with the, 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 the judgment, whether it's, whether it's passive or active or whatever, to whatever extent, you know, I've felt that my whole life and in an environment like a gym, um, that's just, you know, magnified hundredfold. So that was what, that was a, a major barrier, uh, to, to me adopting any sort of gym habit historically. Um, now I actually, uh, we're back to that gym. Uh, the other day and, and, and paid the, the fellow a visit. He's, I consider him a friend now, uh, obviously. And uh, as I said to him that day, I feel like that particular barrier to me taking up a gym habit is no longer there because I'm not the elephant in the room that I used to be. Um, but yeah. there's still a question of how do I pick up a habit in the exercise department that I know I can sustain and repeat. When I go back to the, the dietary change, I was determined to, to, to work the diet in such a way that um, I could manage it on a day-by-day basis. I'd have a meal and I think, you know, after the whole experience of, of you know, preparing it, cooking it, eating it, doing the dishes afterwards even, that was okay, right? In my mind, that was okay. I, I could manage that. I can, can I do that again tomorrow? And if the answer is yes, then I know I'm on my way. But if I don't get the exercise right, I try something that's that's too hard. For example, I'm left absolutely exhausted. I'm just dribbling mess on the floor, and and there's there's no enjoyment in that. So so there's no incentive for me to want to go back and and uh, mm. and, and ruin myself again the, the next day. So uh, in my mind now, the the key challenge is to just find something that, like I've already done with the diet, what can I do with the exercise and, and find a habit that. I can enjoy and appreciate on the day and to be able to say to myself, can I come back and do that again tomorrow? And if I can answer yes, then that that's my yeah. way forward there. Well, yeah, it, it got me thinking somewhat on your behalf, and obviously I have my own biases, but I, I mentioned very early when we started talking about this this idea that came up that really what you were talking about was efficiency of, of eating. Mm. And the previous model just wasn't an efficient way to approach it. This vacuous sort of idea of eat less, move more. And what it looked like you had done throughout your journey and what you relayed in the book is that you simplified it into the the, the key most impactful things that were going to work for you. So obviously, I'm biased towards strength training. But when we look at the evidence... You know, strength training is far and away the most effective form of training for long-term health and uh, body composition and all those mm-hmm. things. Now, interestingly, it probably also requires the the least time input of any of the training modalities. So I wonder if you'll gravitate towards strength just purely based on that sort of efficiency and, and bang for buck. Can I tell you a secret? I bought my... <laughs> of course you can. It's not a secret anymore because it's going to go out to many people. <laughs> It was a few months ago that I bought my first ever pair of dumbbells. Just cool. just for, for something to do at home, to experiment with, to, to look up um, exercise ideas, what, what various things can I do 
Um, you know, a, a lot of people have suggested that very much the same thing along the lines of what you have, and, and you know, certainly going forward as we get older, um, you know, the, the need to retain our, our, our lean body mass becomes that much more important. Um, and, and food will, will do enough of that, keep the protein up, etc. Uh, and, and there's the, the strength training uh, with that as well. So I, I am aware uh, that, that that feels at this time like the, the logical direction for me to go. And that's currently where I'm at, just sort of working out, well, how, how can I apply that? How can I develop a routine that, that I can manage uh, in that direction where I can ask myself this question, Okay, that was okay. Can I come back and do that again tomorrow? And answer yes. And when once I've once I've found that, then I know I'll be on my way. And I, I can back myself to do that because I've done that with the diet and the exercise. I'm sure will, will follow down the track. That's I think just a, a matter of time. Watch the space. If I can recommend a few people to look into, um, one is Dan John, who I think is one of the best strength coaches around. Has been for a very long time. Uh, he, he wrote a book called Easy Strength with Pavel. So it was Dan John and Pavel. And they, they talk about the concepts that in, in some respects you were kind of alluding to before. That you, we, we can't just go into the gym and hammer ourselves to the point where we can't repeat that mm. for many, many yeah. days. It's just not it's, not... it's not congruent with what we would want for strength development anyway. Sure. And so the idea is really that we're working within ourselves. But like anything else, we're training to be strong you know you don't go to the gym to be strong in the gym necessarily you go to the gym to train yourself to be strong for life and it's a thing that's done over a long period or over a period of time exactly I say. yeah so anyway you know i i definitely recommend checking out dan john and, and that book easy strength uh, another guy who's a local guy who who is a, a fantastic coach uh and purveyor of information for for guys particularly over 40 is a guy called Darren Ellis uh, and he has you know very similar approaches as well so some some good recs and I'll put those in the show notes as Sounds well good yeah but I mean also I think with the strength side of things I don't want to hammer on about it and I know we're running out of time here but I remember talking about this with uh, my, my good friend Steve Angel who unfortunately passed on a couple of years back uh, who was considered by many to be one of the strongest men to have ever lived, you know, multiple world record holder for, for many feats of strength. Mm-hmm. And he relayed to me a, a similar experience to what I had, that gaining physical strength, that the real outcome of that was gaining inner fortitude and mental resilience, psychological and emotional strength. Yes. And so that I think they are very very much intertwined and to think that there there could be more gains to be made in that direction is is really encouraging for someone in my position because i know i've benefited um uh in in that sort of in a mental sense if you like just from the diet changes that that have already unfolded you know the the lows of old if you like don't feel so low now as as they used to um i'm a more productive worker because i'm not stopping every few hours to 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 eat and, and i'm just I'm able to just soldier on, you know, day in, day out. And, yeah. and, and um, those, those sorts of things aren't so much a problem for, for me uh, anymore. And, and so to think that there's potentially further benefits to, to be realised in that area, um, you know, through the, through the strength training or, or whatever, that's, that's, that's pretty exciting. This could be book number two. <laughs> I, it's your journey into strength. <laughs> I, I certainly hope not. Like, for me, 
this <laughs> this book was born out of a period of of what for me was was an extended period of, of great adversity, and it's it's a story of having overcome that adversity. And I would, if if it takes such adversity for me to produce a book like this, then I'm I'm in no hurry whatsoever to to put myself through anything like that ever again. The um the the exercise idea is I think just a is, is bonus points territory for me. It's it's a cherry on the top. It's certainly a way forward for the future. But uh, yeah, I think the book at this stage for me will be a one and done deal. You never know. Maybe maybe there'll be a sequel in the future yeah. called The Thin Grey Nerd or, or something. I, I I don't I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't expect it. The strong the strong grey nerd. nerd. There you go. Hmm. Yeah. Well, watch the space. I guess. <laughs> um, I want to finish off by just asking you a couple of quick fire questions. Given that you've learned a lot uh, about this through, you know, other other people and resources, what are your current sort of favourite go to books or resources to to help people? Um, to well, to help people, that was a qualifier at the end. I was about to say my my go to resources for for understanding the, the the background of of the science and the political history of it all will be the likes of your your good calories, bad calories, and your big fat surprise, um, Gary Taubes, Nina Titles, respectively. Um, for for other resources, I mean, there, there are just so many out there, and there are a number of them that I've, I've listed in the back of the book in one of the appendices, a number of books, um, a number of um, uh, documentaries, uh, a number of, of uh, websites. All of these things, in the case of books, I've read all of them. All of the videos that I've listed, I've watched all of them. All of the websites I've frequented, I'm members of, I've subscribed to, uh, whatever. So the answers to, to all of those questions will basically be be in the book uh, in effect right yeah so by by the, by book. the book easy simple. easy so that that is the resource because it's got the other resources there, <laughs> there you go <laughs> sam what's your favorite non-health book and why brendan my favorite non-health book um i haven't actually done that much reading outside of the field of health in recent years though i will say at the moment i'm enjoying uh the dune series of books uh frank herbert i was gonna I was gonna say that because you mentioned in your book, in your book, one of your your friends yeah, he played, read he, it and loved the game that came yeah he out. played the the video game Dune um, that came out in the early nineties on on his computer. The Dune series is a gr- I, I'm a massive sci fi fan. I read about a novel a week, and I've read the Dune series several times. Yeah, I'm I'm working my way through. Um, I've just started Heretics for for the first time at the moment. Um, I finished God Emperor the other day again. I read that a second time. I just love that book. Um, and yeah, just working my way through them all. I uh, enjoy the new movie, obviously, as well. Um, and probably the only other series um, in recent years uh, outside of that would have been the, the Song of Ice and Fire, uh, George R. R. Martin, right. uh, Game of Thrones, and, and so all great. that. Yeah, yeah, really enjoyed those two. Have you read the Foundation series by, by Isaac? No, Anderson? but they I, they do come recommended. Uh, so so good. Mate. I, I think if you love June, you'll love that. Sounds like a plan. It's just epic. Yep. Excellent. I'll note it down. And the final question, Brendan. If you had to choose one thing, what would that one thing be that people could do every day to live their life of health, happiness, passion, and purpose? Ooh, that's a big one. I don't think I could answer that for everybody because we are all so different. We all lead our own lives. We have to find our own way we have to find what works for each of us as individuals if i were to say here is the answer to to 
life satisfaction for everybody, then am I really any different from somebody saying, this is the standard dietary advice, this food pyramid is how we all need to be eating. Um, I think there's, there's an element of, of um, self-discovery there and there's, there's um, enjoyment to be found in that journey, I think, when you can figure out something that does actually work for you, whether it's accepted yeah. uh, uh, across the board or not. If something is, is genuinely working for you and, and making your life better, then then why not uh, just just run with it and, and be happy that you've found uh, that, that thing that, uh, uh, that, that you've been looking for. What a great pragmatic answer. So basically the answer is find, instead of that one thing, find that one thing for yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All those things. That That's fantastic, mate. Hey, so where can people find your book and a little bit more about you and, and what you've done? Uh, so the, the book has a website, um, thefatgingernerd.com. Um, I'm on uh, Facebook and I'm on Twitter. I have the beginnings of a YouTube channel, but um, I haven't been able to get out and about and do many talks uh, as of late for obvious reasons, but um, maybe that'll change yeah. down the track sort of thing. Um, but uh, it, it's all there on the website, uh, thefatgingernerd.com. The uh, and for, if anybody wants to, to know about me personally, well, that's that's all in the book as well. So buy the book. <laughs> so go to thefatgingernerd.com, yep. grab the book. Yep. And check out the journey. Indeed. Thanks for listening to Cliff Dogs Podcasts. Subscribe to the cast at your favorite podcast channel. Check out the articles and member-only content at cliffharvey.com. And if you're interested in studying to become a registered health coach, accredited sports nutritionist, or registered clinical nutritionist, head over to the Holistic Performance Institute at holisticperformance.institute. Thank you.